This morning we're going to be looking at devoted to generous living. So they were remarkably generous, um, this early church. So, and, but I don't think this comes naturally to us. And uh, I just thought I'd start with a couple of stories. I mean, this is, I'm talking personally now. I'm, I'm not a naturally a giver. I'm more of a, a getter. And uh, this was particularly brought home to me when uh, we first got married. And I had my first Christmas, not with my family, but with Nell's family. And you'll see just how sad the situation really is. So in, in my family, the t- Christmas tradition was, right, right at the start, we get up really, really early. Myself, I've got three brothers. We get downstairs early in the morning, and we would, we would find all the presents under the tree that had our names on it. You obviously know the feeling. And uh, we would pile up in a corner all our own presents first thing in the morning. Then we'd be waiting for my dad to get downstairs. My dad's a farmer. He he claims that he was tired, but we'd pressurize him and we'd get him down. And uh, we'd literally, in about five minutes, rip open all of the presents that we've got and say, what have we got this year? Great. And that, that, okay, that was our experience. Nell's family is quite different. Nell's family do presents in the afternoon. Can you believe it? In the afternoon. So I'm there, and, and they don't eat. They eat quite late as well. So I'm, I mean, they eat really well, but it's a long day, you know. And um, so, so the first, I'm there. And then, they don't just have them in the afternoon. They do it one at a time. So you have to watch everybody else. It's, it's very painful if you're used to the, you know, the pilot up and just get at it. Just watching. And then, you know, and you have to say nice things in response. Yeah. Oh, oh, socks. Thank you so much. I, I didn't know. So for me, it was a very painful, but really showed the bad heart that I have. And, the, and um, it's the same in my work. Uh, it's quite interesting. I work uh, for a company. We help buy and sell companies. And the biggest thing you notice when you're buying and selling company, is greed. How greed affects people and how they get offered so much, but they want a little bit more and they want more and they want more. Um, and then my colleagues, you know, we, they want more because it's all about the bonuses. And it's very much a materialistic get, get, get world. And we, but sometimes we do sell companies when the clients are prepared to accept the money. And uh, we have sometimes like a, a celebratory meal with a client. And I've had celebratory meals where people have got large sums of money and yet they've actually moaned. You know, more, more money than most of us. And, and I thought, wow, that's, that's a bad heart. But there was a particularly funny story that I thought I would share with you, which was just a couple of years ago. Um, we sold a business which was owned by a Scottishman and an Englishman. And it sounds like a joke, and it, 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 it might be. Uh, so this... The Englishman arrived first. They went to this pub. We're going to have a meal together to celebrate. And um, the, the English guy, my colleague, said to him, so have you, you know, you've got all this money. What, have you done any extravagances? And he said, well, yeah, I've, I've been down the local Porsche garage and I've been looking at these flash cars. And, and we were like, wow, sport, yeah. And, you know, so that was the English guy. He'd been looking at sports cars. And actually, it's quite interesting. That seems to be the male default. If they become very rich, they seem to go and buy a, a fast car. 
and then they're in danger of crashing. So it's a strange thing, isn't it? But that seems to be the default. Well, the Scottish guy then turned up for the meal. We said, so, any extravagances? And bearing in mind, he was the bigger shareholder and got a lot more money. Well, yes. I suppose I have been some. Yeah, I, I, what's that? Well, I, I bought an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> now, an iPad is an extravagance for many people, but for him, that was not an extravagance. That was, that was a very small amount of money. But uh, I don't think it was any different at the time of Jesus when, in the early church. I think people were, were naturally greedy um, and uh, getters more than givers. And something amazing happened in the early church. But I'll give you an example. When Jesus was walking along one day, someone in the crowd shouted out to him, they shouted out this, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Now you just think about that for a minute. You're next to the Son of God. And the thing that's in his head is, look, how much can I get out of this situation? Now Jesus here, he's a fair guy and you know, I want my share. What's... And it's amazing how kind of you think, wow, there he was, Jesus. And you know, the thing that was on his mind was, well, what's in it for me? Where's my inheritance? It's not fair. I want to split it. And Jesus actually rebukes him. And then he says this, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So Jesus, and if you read the stuff that Jesus says about possessions and money, it's really radical things. And he was saying, be careful, be careful that greed and possessions and the materialistic world we live in can actually get hold of your heart. And it can, you can miss, actually you can miss God. And so he tells this story about this guy who was a rich man, a successful man. He was building these barns, and he was getting more and more crops and more and more success. And so he tore down the old barns and built new ones. I've seen uh, family members do very much the same thing, you know, always building bigger barns. If they're listening to this tape any time, I'm sorry. But, yeah, barns to house more and more wealth. And then the guy says to himself, well, now I've got enough stored up. I can just eat, drink, and be merry and just take life easy because I've got enough for many years. And then God says, and Jesus tells this story, he says, God says, you fool, tonight your life is demanded of you. And who will get all of this money that you stored up for yourself? And this is how it be for those who store up things themselves and yet are not rich towards God. So this is an important subject, Generosity. And what you see in the early church is completely different to what is naturally our disposition. They were amazingly generous with their possessions and with their money to one another. And I feel that's what God wants to encourage amongst us. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to read these verses we've been going through. And then we're also going to flick over to Acts chapter 4. So Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And everyone, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. But I'd also like you to turn over to Acts chapter 4, because there's a very similar passage, and we're looking at this idea of um, how they shared their possessions. So you see Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's a remarkable story of what God did amongst them. Um, So I'm just going to pray, if that's all right, and just ask that God, by his spirit, helps us to learn from this. Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit here today. Lord, be our teacher by your spirit. Lord, I pray you would uh, write your words on our hearts. Lord, not that it's uh, something done by man, but something done by God in the heart. I pray you would instruct us and speak to us. I pray you would cause generous hearts to flow for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to look at three things. just going through this subject of generosity. And the three things are this. A generous God. We're going to look at the, the source of the transformation. A generous church. And just kind of get into the detail of what that church was like and the example they are to us. And a generous heart. How God changes us. Changes our lives. And uh, I did think... Uh, with... Um, you could put on Christmas presents. This is a little, I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. I've got to be careful. I'm going to flick over this. But I was thinking that you could put on Christmas presents, warning, greed can damage your life. <laughs> Wouldn't it be, that's a pretty horrible thing to think of, isn't it? I'm sorry I said it. But there we are. Um, but this is more helpful. Uh, now, I, I looked up in... Um, I've got a book... Uh, a New Testament word book and I know it's that because it says on the outside New Testament word book it's snappily titled and anyway there's a Greek scholar called William Barclay and he said this I found this really interesting when I was preparing uh, and hopefully you'll find it helpful it's about the word fellowship okay so the Greek word koinonia that's translated fellowship actually has the idea of generosity in it okay so for example he says this In Greek, in the later Greek, koinonia is used as the opposite and contrast to plonexia, which is the word we translate as greed. You with me? So this is the grasping spirit which is out for itself. Koinonia is the spirit of generous sharing as contrasted with the spirit of selfish getting. So I just thought it was really interesting. the idea that fellowship, when we say, because fellowship is not a word we use, I'm just going to go have some fellowship. You know, it's not a word we use. It's kind of an, a churchy word. It's not a word we use. And so it's quite helpful to think, well, what does that word mean? 
And it simply means generous sharing. Okay, so I've got, if you didn't find that helpful, I've got something I think you'll find more helpful, which is a demonstration of generous sharing. Are you ready for it? Just the two of you. That's, that's all the people are going to get the generous sharing. Just John and Steve. That's all I got. Um, so this is a, a demonstration of generous sharing. So over here, my beautiful assistant and I have some chocolates. Uh, so, ooh, let's have a new. Now, I would like you to share these generously with one another. Look at that. Will's very keen. Um, so take one, pass one around. If your need is great and you need more than one, you're allowed that. But obviously God is your judge. He sees your heart. Um, now I did this in Alpha course a few years ago, just as a way, because the word fellowship means sharing, and I shared some chocolates. It's, it's, it's a little bit more interesting than doing it in this setting. But anyway, hopefully it will just help you. Remember, fellowship means sharing. Okay, that's it's. It's just a cheap stunt to, uh, <laughs> but hopefully you will. I use my birthday money also just to point out. I got a lot of birthday money. Come on. I, I, I've got everything I need, so I thought, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so hopefully that will help you remember. So the three points then: generous God, generous church, and a generous heart. You've still got to listen. You can't just sit there. And, this is great chocolate. Okay, still got to listen. Right. So three thousand people have been added to this new community in one day. And they, you've got to try and put yourself... I'm now thinking it's not such a good idea. <laughs> 3,000 people have heard this amazing message of who Jesus was and what he'd done. And then they had experienced God for themselves. So uh, they'd received the Holy Spirit. So whenever we look at this subject of devotion, as we have done for several weeks in a row, and we've been looking at... Um, the amazing devotion of these believers, you've got to remember that it was out of what God did in them. It wasn't that they tried really, really hard to be devoted. Oh, we're going to be really, we'll try really hard. Actually, they had experienced something. There was a source of their generosity. Something had changed them on the inside. They'd received something from God. So this is very different to being religious and trying really, really hard. You see, actually, religious people can be very mean people. They can be very tight with their money, very mean-hearted. And actually, it's interesting, Jesus, when he met some of the Pharisees, he said to them, you are full of greed. When he saw the Pharisees, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You, you, you look okay on the outside, but on the inside, there's a, there's a horrible greed in your hearts. They were tithing. You think, well, tithing, that's good, isn't it? He said you're, they were tithing their herbs. They were so preoccupied with the little nitty-gritty that they were thinking about what was in it for them rather than what they're giving to God. See what I mean? They were, they were religious, and religious people are, are mean people, often. But not so this early church. They were completely opposite. When, the way you read it is it's just like they weren't told to give their possessions. It's just something that happened naturally out of the Holy Spirit, out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. They just started to share with one another as they saw need. Their hearts were so full of compassion and love 
for the people around them. That they said, well, can I help? Can I do this? Can I? It's something that came out of their heart. So you've got to remember when you're reading the New Testament that there is a source, a river, if you like, that they've stepped into. They've become attached to the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. They were attached to Jesus and his church, and through that came this generosity. It wasn't that they tried. You get the point? In their hardness, in their own strength. It was something that God did in them. So there's some amazing verses here in the New Testament I just want to read that talk about the generosity of God. So 1 John 3 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Ephesians says this, In him we have the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It says in 1 Peter that we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And all through Acts, it says they were filled with joy. They were filled with just thankfulness and joy. There was an amazing joyfulness in this community. Um, In Titus, it says this, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ. So these words, I don't know your experience of Christianity, but these words are fitting, generous and lavish, in terms of how God has been to us, how God has been to you as an individual. It's not, oh, just enough. He's got just enough love for us. No, it's, there's an abundance of mercy from God, abundance of love. He's full of love, full of compassion. And that was what they stepped into. That's what changed their hearts. Terry Verger writes this. It says, It takes grace to free you to give extravagantly. It takes God's grace to liberate you from the natural tendency to cling to money and to put your own needs first. Grace has to break through and set you free. And I remember um, I heard a guy called Arnold Bell uh, teach on grace and, he, and generosity. And he said in his church, he used to lead the church in Odium. And uh, he was a great, sadly he's no longer with us, but he was a great Bible teacher. And he said... In his church, he said, if he wanted the church to become generous, he would teach on grace. He said, the more he taught on grace, the more generous the church became. Do you get it? It's not, oh, I ought to do it. It's something that came out. Once you understand just how much God has done for you, how amazing his love is, something springs out. A generosity springs out. Um, I had a picture of osmosis. Does anybody remember osmosis? Yeah. Um, oh, Tony, I knew Tony would know, yes. <laughs> osmosis. Perhaps, t- Tony, would you like to swap? And, uh, <laughs> but osmo- as, far, as I remember osmosis, it's, uh, it's about the concentration of liquids. So the greater, denser concentration of liquid flows into the weaker concentration. So is that right? Tony's not nodding. Okay, <laughs> just imagine it. That's what it is. And uh, no, I think it is that. And so the denser, so it's like that. It's God's, the greatness of God and the denseness of his compassion and his love. As we become believers, something of that, the generosity of God flows into us and it changes us. It changes people's hearts. And that's what was happening here in this church. Um, so what is this grace? What is this message? I was just thinking of 
any of you are here who are not quite clear. Well, it says this, early on in Acts, that God made Jesus, Peter says this, God who made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So Jesus was God's gift to the world. There's another amazing verse in 2 Corinthians that says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So if you're not a believer here today, uh, we are not after your money. There is a free gift from God that is available to you, which is complete forgiveness of your sin and getting in a right relationship with God. And it cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. You can't live a good life. It is something you receive. It's something you ask for. So Jesus was God's gift to the world. It said, the prophecy in Isaiah said this, that there's people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus came and said, I am the light of the world. And it was like the darkness in the world ultimately wanted to snuff that light out. So Jesus, he went to the cross for us. He died in our place, as we remembered uh, in our breaking of the bread and taking the wine. His life was snuffed out, and it was like the light of the world was being snuffed out. But actually, Jesus was absorbing the darkness on the cross. He was absorbing all the punishment from God for sin. And he was absorbing the wrath of God for sin. And he was taking that upon himself so that then he could reconnect us to God. It's a bit like a circuit board. We'd we'd become separated from God. We'd separate from the power source and the love of God. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can now reconnect it to him. We can have personal reconnection to him. And that is available as a free gift. It's it's so important this morning to understand it's a free gift of God. It's not earned or bought. It's a free gift that's available to you. So at the end of this meeting, I'm going to read a a prayer uh, that you could make that step today. You can say, yeah, I want to pray that prayer. I want to become a follower of Jesus. That is available to you. I just want to be clear. And in fact, it's interesting that Jesus told another story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee, they both went to, to the meeting place to meet with God. And the Pharisee prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not a bad man. I, I give lots of money and I, I, um, I tithe and, I, and I, you know, I pray and I do all the right things. I thank you I'm not like other bad men. And there's a tax collector there so he's boastful and proud. There's a tax collector there who simply prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, it's that one who went right with God. It's that simple heart cry, I need you. <laughs> I need you, God. I want you in my life. And Peter said, on the day of Pentecost, it's for all who are far off. If anybody feels like I'm just too far, <laughs> it's for those people. The promise is for those people that you can come and you can know God. Okay, so that is the first thing, a generous God. The second thing I want to look at is a generous church. So as we looked at this, this kind of devotion, it's interesting, if you look at the word devotion, it's in, the, it's in Acts chapter 1 where the 120 meet. The same word is there. They were devoted to praying. And then this devotion is now in the 3,000, this radical devotion and generous, generosity to one another. So as we saw there, it talks about them giving their possessions and sharing as anyone had need. Um, and I just wanted to just point out, actually this is not, this was not just a little blip 
in the history of the early church. Well, they were really generous right at the start, and then, you know, after a while, they kind of softened out. I came across this um, in another commentary, which is written in A.D. 125, and I just thought this was really powerful. Um, so it's says a Christian philosopher who's writing uh, a few years later. It talks about the early church like this. It says this. They walk in all humility and kindness. Falseness is not found among them. They love one another. From widows they do not turn away. They rescue the orphan from him who does him violence. And he who has gives to him who has not, without grudging. When they see the stranger, they bring him to their dwellings and rejoice over him as a true brother. For they do not call brothers those after who they after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and in God. And when one of their poor passes away from the world and any one of them sees him, he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any number of their members imprisoned or oppressed for, for the name of their Messiah, they provide for his needs, and if possible, that he may be delivered. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy, and they have not an abundance of necessaries, they fast for two or three days that they may supply the need, the needy, with necessary food. I just thought that last bit, wow. So they f- if they haven't got enough, they fast so they could then share with the needy. I mean, that's amazing generosity um, that there was in this early church. Um, and I, I found John Stott's commentary particularly amusing on this. Uh, not that it was supposed to be, but he... he he says this, he says, these are disturbing verses. <laughs> uh, you're dead right. <laughs> they are, they are, because, you know, and some churches, some people have interpreted like this, that this, therefore, at the end of the church, we, you know, we all hand in our car keys and all our house keys and we'll just pool it all together. Everybody up for that? <laughs> pool it all together and uh, just, but actually that isn't, I don't believe, what was happening here. In fact, it's interesting because it says they ate in their own homes. And they sold their own fields. They didn't actually do common ownership. But they acted like possessions didn't matter anymore. They acted like, well, I've got that. You can have it. They shared as each had need. They were willing to share their possessions with one another. So it was a remarkable generosity. So whilst I don't think it's teaching common ownership, I do think it is teaching generosity. And the New Testament is full of this teaching that the Bible teaches believers to be generous. That is the teaching. So, for example, uh, Timothy is taught to speak to the rich. He doesn't say to the rich, become poor, but it does say this, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That is the teaching. It's not a life of poverty that uh, some people have interpreted it as, but it is a life of generosity a life of sharing. And it talks about this proportionality that some may be in, may, may, God may bless you and you may have more an abundance. It's, that is to, to use to share to others so that you can supply their lack. And, you know, some people are in need and that you're in need. You can't give if you're, you've got nothing to give. And yet you can give something. And the, the, the widow who just gave one pence to God, God saw that generosity. So it's a proportional thing, isn't it? She gave a lot in proportion, although she gave a very small amount. So it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. 
Um, but these are disturbing verses, and I think God tests us sometimes um, about our possessions. And I've got, unfortunately, time is clicking on, but I do have... So, for example, I was at my Christmas party last week. Um, we had crackers all around the room, and somebody put cranberry juice, cranberry sauce, it's not juice, cranberry sauce in a cracker, and then somehow that cracker ended up on my place. And so when it popped, it went all over me. And uh, it was a moment of testing. Uh, but there, there have been many moments like this, and actually I have been privileged to, to be, and myself and Ray Athill have been privileged to test Guy Miller in this area. Just, so if you've got time, I'll try and be quick, but myself and Nell did the marriage course with uh, Guy and Heather many, many, many years ago, and uh, they did a good job. We're still together. So, um, no, we are. And, uh, <laughs> this is going to be naughty. Uh, but anyway, we're at Guy's house, and they had a lovely white sofa. It was almost white, cream sofa. And I had a, a, some reason, I had a pen in my back pocket, and I sat on it, and it broke. And we sat there for you know, a couple of hours going through the marriage course, and all the ink seeped through my jeans. And I didn't know it. And as we got up, there was a big blue patch. They were very gracious. They passed the test. Uh, and somehow, miraculously, it was not there the next week. Heather is some sort of magician with uh, chemicals. But, uh, but then, I remember, do, you, do you remember this, Ray? I remember this. This is so funny. Because uh, we used to have prayer meetings on Friday morning. And one, uh, this is at Stamble Lane. And uh, Ray parked his car and hadn't put his handbrake on quite strong enough. So he put it on. Is that not it? Ray's... But your car ended up bumping into Guy Miller's car. Is that? The handbrake cable broke. Okay, now I can get to the truth. Ray did, of course, Ray put his handbrake on. He's not going to be. Ray put his handbrake on. Good old Ray. Um, However, the the devil broke the cable. (laughs) Anyway, whatever happened, Ray's car, sorry. Ray's car smashed. I mean, it hit Guy's car. And so Guy had an opportunity to have, be tested in this area of possessions and uh, his heart and attitude to it. See, I think it's interesting uh, how you react when things happen to your possessions. It's sort of an indicator of your heart, isn't it? How much do things matter to you? Um, I came across this remarkable story about John Wesley. Apparently, um, uh, John Wesley was one day he was coming back home and somebody came up to him and said, John, your house has burned down. Your house has burned down. And his reply was this, no it hasn't because I don't own a house. The one I've been living in belongs to the Lord and if it is burned down, that's one less responsibility for me to worry about. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, He was not... Obsessed with possessions, is he? Wow. It's up to God. And um, so that's an amazing attitude to possessions. Um, and I think I, I have seen that in this church. There are many, many people who are very generous with their possessions. Uh, you know, who've, you know, I've been lent things. I've lent things. It, there is a generous attitude. In fact, Nell was telling me, um, somebody she works with, uh, things like, you know, making meals when someone's 
had a baby and you make meals. That kind of thing speaks volumes to people, that there's a, a care for one another. And uh, Lady Nell Wurtswood said, your church, you look after each other. I thought it was a great, a great testimony, isn't it? It's, that's how they think. Oh, that church, they look after each other. And that's the kind of thing, this generosity, this caring, this sharing with one another is what I wanted to encourage. And um, I just want to encourage you to think about yourself. What, how's your attitude to your possessions? Are you freely, do you not consider your possessions your own, but you see them as something God's given you, something you can share with others, something you can lend, something you can freely give to others? It's a good barometer, it's a good test of your heart to God, I think. And this is my final point then. So a generous heart. So Peter's message, and these series of messages has really been, I think, to challenge us about where your heart is towards God. When you look at the subject of devoted, it's about your heart, isn't it? It's not about external things. Where's your heart with God? Um, It's interesting. It it talks about this early church. They were cut to the heart when they heard what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And yet, as these few verses later, it talks they were eating together with glad and sincere hearts. They had good hearts towards one another. It was something on the inside, not the outside. And uh, I remember um, I read, a, read some of the biography of Hudson Taylor, who's an amazing missionary who gave his life to go and uh, preach the gospel. Um, and I read this about how he got into real need at one point, so much so it was, it was almost can he carry on. And then he got this gift from this guy called George Muller, and I thought that was remarkable because George Muller was himself living by faith. And God was, he was doing these things for orphans and preaching the gospel. And there was huge generosity that he was... And yet, he obviously heard from God just at the right time to send a gift to somebody in China just at the right time to supply their need. And I thought, there's a remarkable something about God, isn't there? When you see that kind of generosity... Um, I think Nell's parents, as uh, just an example, remarkable New Testament givers. I've uh, chatted with Nell's dad several times, and he, you know, he talks about that verse where it says, um, you know, it's things pressed down. You know that verse that says, "Give and it will be given to you." Pressed down, running over. You know, you can't outgive God. In fact, I remember hearing George Muller uh, said something like this: "God shovels it in, and I shovel it out." That's quite good. Um, but there is an amazing something about God. When you see a heart like that, that's generous. It's something about God on, in the heart. Um, and George Muller said this, We should begin the thing in the right way. Aim at the right state of heart. Begin inwardly instead of outward, outwardly. If otherwise, it will not last. How different if, joy, if in joy... God leads us to an act of self-denial. How gladly we do it then. So about, um, he's basically saying he kept his heart right with God. That's where the generosity came from. It wasn't that he, he did it because he ought to do it. He did it because he was thankful. Does that make sense? It was a, an overflow of the heart. And he was open to God speaking to him to give to others as they had need. And it's quite an adventure, giving to God. I mean, it's interesting this, in this church. This church is actually known for its generosity. We are sitting in a building 
that's been paid for by the generosity of believers amongst us. I remember, see, as I told you earlier, my heart has not always been good in this area, I don't think. Um, And I remember the the day we raised 800,000 pounds. And what was remarkable to me is I just, the the month before, I just received the biggest bonus I'd ever received um, for doing this piece of work. It was actually for a Canadian business who was owned by Christians. And this Canadian business was tithing 10% of their profits to World Mission, which I thought was amazing. And it's just an incidental point that I shouldn't be talking about. But the point is this. It was a test for me. What am I going to do? Why do I get it now, Lord? <laughs> Why? Why now? And, uh, but I remember, literally, I was, I, it made me smile as I went down. It actually made me joyful. I think that's the remarkable thing about it. Because money, materialism, and greed can actually steal your joy. And the greatest antidote to greed is giving. It actually does something, I think, in your heart. You think, no, stuff it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to be bound by money. And it was an amazing, sort of liberating, if that makes sense, a liberating experience to start giving to God and, and be generous. And he supplies. He, 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 you know, you cannot outgive God. And um, it's amazing how God does supply things. And Barnabas was a great example of that. Barnabas sold a field. Now, you've got to think, in the New Testament, owning land was a big deal. They'd been told about the promised land. And yet, God tugged at his heart and said, no, sell it. And he sold it and brought all the money. But his heart was right. Do you remember the story that Steve talked about, Ananias and Sapphira? They did it with a bad heart. They did it externally. They wanted to look good. Look, we've sold a field. But their hearts were bad. Well, Barnabas, his heart was good. And it's interesting that later on, he's sent to Antioch to look look out for that church. And it just says this. It says, when he saw what God was doing amongst them, he was glad. And he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I just thought, that's it, isn't it? That's really what God, that's all God's ever wanted is our hearts. Our whole hearts. Um... There was, a, there was a time in this church where, um, back in the 1980s, is before I came, where I felt, it's funny I talk about that, but there was a, God did something in this church, didn't he? He did something in this church. And what it was, I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it, but what it was, Greg uh, preached about you are neither hot nor cold, You know, I want your hearts, basically, as a church. And the church here repented of lukewarmness, of not having a whole heart for God. And then God did stuff. And when I came as a student, it was such a joyful place to be, this church. It was such a joyful place. I thought people were faking it. I thought, you can't really be that happy. I've been a Christian for quite a few years, and I was quite miserable. (laughs) And uh, I thought people were faking it, but actually it's true. You can be happy in God. You can know joy. And God can do something in your heart. And I felt, you know, it's a bit like a ring. On my ring, uh, there's a hallmark on the inside, isn't there? Something on the inside that you can't see. It's the hallmark of God. And when people give generously like this, it's the hallmark of God. You may do it in secret. Nobody might see it. 
But God, God sees it. God sees a heart that gives. And uh, he, he's grateful for it.